0: Are You Just Watching is supported by our dearly loved listeners. Special thanks to Craig Hardy, Richard French, and Stephen Brown II for their monthly support. To help support Are You Just Watching, please go to patreon.com slash are you just watching. Show notes for this episode can be found at are you just dot com slash 73. Are you just watching episode 73, The Defenders? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin.
1: I'm Tim Martin.
0: You know, this is kind of a spur of the moment episode, and I know that some of our listeners will probably not even bother to vo- listen, watch it, listen to it. Either, really? Either, yeah. <laughs> um, simply because it's a Netflix only thing that we're discussing and it's a program that is rated MA for TV audiences, which means mm. it's for mature audiences only, which is the TV equivalent of rated R, which we typically don't do rated R for this show.
1: Yeah, but it is It's in a common wheelhouse for us, which is, uh, you know, superheroes. And mm-hmm. this discussion will actually tie on nicely, I think, to our last episode, which was Spider-Man Homecoming, mm-hmm. uh, particularly discussions about uh hero and and anti-hero and all that.
0: Right. And, you know, this is, we even kind of mentioned the Defenders was coming up when we did the last episode and uh, we had something else planned and it just, we both kind of had watched this and it actually, we're recording this on the Monday after it released on the Friday. So it's only been out, what, uh, three days, four days. Um, And so there's, I think most of the Defenders fans have probably already binged it. But if you <laughs> haven't watched it yet and you are planning to watch it, you may want to wait and listen to this episode until after you've seen the entire series because we will spoil it.
1: Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about all uh, – or, or we're not going to limit ourselves to uh, any <laughs> of the particular episodes. And, you know, it, it's interesting. I was thinking when you when you said that there are going to be folks out there who aren't going to listen because it's uh, subscriber um, content. Mm-hmm. I was thinking – you know, Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, they're pulling in as many awards nowadays mm-hmm. as the major theaters. Right. So I think we're getting to the point where we would be remiss if we didn't consider their Some releases. of their content. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I've already done, i you know, I did the episode in the spring on uh, 13, 13 Reasons, Reasons. Why. hmm And so it's not unheard of us for us to deal with uh, Netflix. Uh, content. So now that I have Netflix, it will probably happen every so often. I didn't get it until November of last year, so I haven't had it that long. Uh, I don't see that there's any problem with dealing with some of the the for Netflix content that you can't get anywhere else.
1: I I do wonder if the official guidelines for an R rating and the official guidelines lines for a TV MA rating, I wonder where they overlap and where they... uh... Well, I do know the language is
0: pretty bad. That's actually one of the things I wanted to raise with the defenders is the language is just like Daredevil and uh, Luke Cage and uh, Jessica Jones. The language in these in these programs is horrific. And Mm. I did notice uh, I don't know how many people are familiar with the VidAngel, but they now have a service that you can um, get there. You can pay a monthly fee and you can actually filter streaming content so you can filter. You can get like run VidAngel over the top of Netflix and take all the language out.
1: Very nice.
0: So I haven't tested it yet, but from what I've seen from people who have used the service, it does work and it will actually blank out sex scenes. You can filter to whatever you don't want to see, which is, will make some of this content a lot more accessible. Uh, I, I've noticed a lot of people were referring to using it for Game of Thrones, which I myself have not watched.
1: <laughs> what Does that leave like a five-minute episode yeah, each time? Or?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what I've been hearing. The joke is that, uh, that the people who have used it said it only cuts about 10 minutes out per episode. So, that 10 guessing... minutes is a lot when yeah. it comes
1: to uh, I, I watched the first, I want to say, three episodes of Game of Thrones thinking, oh, fan- epic fantasy TV, this is going to be great. Uh, no, I mean yeah. it, it. It is. It, it has some spectacular content, mm-hmm. but for me, it was completely offset by the
0: horrificness of the other content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've thought about it, but about the only way that I would even attempt it is with VidAngel, and I haven't necessarily taken the plunge to get VidAngel yet. But we're talking about the Defenders here, yep. And uh, the Defenders is not as bad as Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, it does have a lot of horrific language, horrific violence. I think that's really where it gets most of its MA rating is from the mm-hmm. violence, uh, though the language is bad, and they would not allow that with a, a TV-14 rating. Uh, and-
1: I was thinking uh, earlier that the, the violence was about as bad as Daredevil was, but mm-hmm. now I think about it, this actually, this has some rather gruesome scenes in it that mm-hmm. are beyond what was in Daredevil. So yeah, I think it's even worse.
0: Yeah, yeah. They they seem to step it up a little bit each time. Now the the violence I think in Daredevil was more realistic, which makes it a little harder to watch. Yes. I I think that uh the violence was definitely in this one pretty bad. The um in fact, I think with Daredevil I had some friends at at work mention that they couldn't watch it because they didn't care for the victimization of women that was in Daredevil, which was really only like the first episode or two. Mm. But It's enough to turn them off the series because it was in the pilot.
1: Yeah, it's Daredevil had as much violence, but I didn't feel it was as gratuitous Mm -hmm. as as uh, it definitely is in the Defenders.
0: Yeah, and the other really bad thing in this series was actually only in the first episode there was a really um, violent sex scene, (laughs) and if anybody vigorous,
1: it was vigorous,
0: vigorous. it seems to be the way Luke Cage does sex because that was the he was the same culprit in Jessica Jones. Yeah, and I I really feel like um, that was inappropriate. But I guess if you're going if you have the TV MA rating, you can do it and not feel guilty. Yeah. Um. I f- I felt guilty watching it. So
1: <laughs> it it plays to his character. Um, yeah. And I I really wish that those two would tie the knot so I don't feel like. So I feel at least a little <laughs> better about well, it was it a being different woman in this than it was wife. in the first one. Uh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. yeah, but uh the relationship between um Claire.
0: Claire, thank you. Yes. Claire and
1: and uh, Luke, <laughs> Luke Cage is it, it feels serious enough on screen that they could reasonably be hitched, which but of in, course means that in Marvel Cinematic Universe it will fall apart and she will become a supervillain.
0: <laughs> or die.
1: Yeah, um, or die exactly.
0: Yeah, but you know the the thing about that is in the comics Jessica Jones and Luke Cage are a couple. So I Yep. I don't know. We'll see where they take it. <laughs> um but yeah, that that's the sex scene. It's only there's only one sex scene it's in the first episode and you can kind of avoid it simply because when they kind of meet up after he gets out of prison, just kind of like skip forward a little bit and you'll be fine.
1: Yeah, there's no dialogue. There's no meaningful You're content not, in yeah. it. Nothing yeah. to miss.
0: And nothing to miss.
1: And there, there's no definitive nudity. There's uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uncomfortable suggestions, but that's it.
0: Yeah. and And even the characters are much better clothed than they are in the comic books, which is... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, saying a lot because yeah. Electra, Electra in the comic books is usually wearing nothing more than a very skimpy bikini with uh, scarves hanging off of it. So yep. uh, we're we're looking at somebody who's actually in body armor in this one, which makes a whole lot more sense from a practicality standpoint if you're going to be fighting. Other than that, I really think you know. I mean, we've listed all the really bad stuff, so we can move mm. on from there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: For those of you who aren't familiar with the main characters of the Defenders, it's the uh, the four, I don't want to call them sub-heroes of New York City because they're not really sub-heroes, but they're... Local heroes. Yeah, they're local, lower-powered heroes than the Avengers or mm-hmm. Alpha Team or any of them. But uh, they, they all have t- local ties to the community, and each of them have had one yeah. or more seasons of their own Netflix series.
0: Mm-hmm. There was a up for the Defenders, kind of like they did with the Avengers in the movies. They each had their own origin story before they pulled them together into the Defenders. And Daredevil had two seasons, so that was yeah. nice.
1: And Daredevil deserves more seasons. It, yes. I think we can both agree that Daredevil is hands down the best. The best.
0: Yes. <laughs> best character development, best writing, best acting, best everything.
1: Yeah. And uh, the first season in particular of Daredevil was, I thought, exceptional when Mm -hmm. it came to writing and and everything.
0: You can tell that the writers really love the character. It's not that they're just like turning out scripts. These are guys that have probably um, read every single Daredevil comic out there, you know, graphic novel, whatever you want to call them. And they've absorbed all the various storylines, and they've figured out how best to develop the character based on Mm -hmm. what fans will be expecting. And they genuinely love the character, and I think it comes out in the quality of the scripts. They don't put stupid things in his mouth, for the most part. He says good lines, and the villains are believable, and they're scary. And, I mean, they just did a terrific job. And then you go all the way down to the bottom of the scale to Iron Fist, who is... I, I think they just threw it together because they needed a fourth hero for the Defenders, and the writing was terrible. I don't know if it was the Ugh. acting or the writing, but I really feel like it was their script writing. It's like the script writers just didn't care. And they were working with a sub subpar hero anyway, which yeah, we'll get to. I have him
1: described in our notes as an arrogant, yeah. myopic, wannabe hero. <laughs> oh, man, he's one of those characters that I, I find so distasteful that I transfer some of that distaste to the actor. Mm-hmm. So for those who don't know, Danny Rand was in an airplane accident, a, a manufactured or a planned airplane accident when he was 10, in which his parents died. He uh, somehow survived the airplane accident, was rescued from the mountains of Tibet by a group of mystical, the monks of Kunlun, where he was trained as an outsider and eventually uh, underwent this
0: grueling test to become their yeah, famed quest immortal test. Iron Fist.
1: Yeah, to become the immortal Iron Fist. Yes. Yeah,
0: you get the impression that he did it just because he was competitive and he wanted to be the one that won. And he had absolutely no commitment to these people and what they they needed the Iron Fist to be for them, which it just make, it makes it even worse. It's like yeah. you're a spoiled rich kid. You wanted it. You worked to get it and just because you were competitive and you didn't want anyone else to beat you and and you had no commitment. I mean, he really has no commitment and yeah. it really comes out in the TV show that was by his name and I think it really comes out in this series as mm-hmm. well.
1: The character itself really never had a chance to mature the way that a uh, a young man would mature in today's society. So, you know, the the writer's seem to be trying to get that across, but it's just not working. <laughs> he just comes across as a brat every yeah. single time you turn around he's whining and complaining and then uh flaunting his title like he's president of the United States
0: yeah, yeah, and I think it really comes out uh in in this episode i mean in this series because when he finds out why the hand wants him when they when they figure it out. He still wants to just be part of everything, and the, and the, all the rest of them were like, hey, just sit back, stay low for a little while until we can figure out how to, you know, keep you from falling into the wrong hands for the wrong reasons. Yeah,
1: it's like the kid who won't be left behind when playing yeah. kick the can.
0: Yeah, and and because of his nastiness about being, you know, kept away from the action, they had to tie him up, which then made it easier for him to be captured, mm-hmm. and, I mean, it, it was all his fault.
1: yeah. I feel like uh Iron Fist was the curse that brought the entire defender script down. <laughs> <laughs> because they had to keep, you know, massaging the script to make his stuff work and I just don't think it did. Yeah. Uh but let's let's uh let's jump to Luke Cage real quick. Sure. So Luke Cage, I think he is actually the closest of the four to being a stereotypical hero. Mhm. Uh even though I like Daredevil so much better daredevil struggles with his uh two lives uh, yeah he struggles with specifically with the violent side of uh the violent necessities of being a hero so Mm -hmm. he's very reluctant but luke cage he specifically goes out and wants to help his neighborhood which is harlem in new york Mm -hmm. Uh, you know he sets out to make a difference and i think that's uh
0: but then again he hates the h word
1: yeah (laughs) It doesn't like the humble. hero word. It's he's actually uh, I don't know the Marvel history uh behind him all that well, but um he is in Heroes for Hire mm-hmm. where uh and I think that actually was hinted at in here because uh Claire keeps asking, Well, is you know, hero is being a hero gonna pay the bills? And he said, We'll see. Mm-hmm. So I think they're hinting at that, but he wants to do good. And, and I think that makes him the most stereotypical uh, and uh, one of the the most likable heroes of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Jessica Jones, on the other hand. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jessica Jones is a funny character because I actually had a really hard time watching her series. I oh, yeah. I watched about five episodes in and then I stopped for a good long while and then I finally reluctantly watched the rest of the season and I think it's because that she is so defiant and she's so well she definitely is an anti-hero she doesn't oh, yeah. care she she's she's lost in her own grief and depression and she's an alcoholic and there's really nothing to like about her she's very acidic in mm-hmm. in the way she treats people even yeah. people who like her
1: <laughs> yeah she actively pursues apathy yes. and it's only when she fails in that pursuit that she gets involved mm-hmm. um, i
0: mean she walked out on them in this and she she's i mean matthew daredevil tried to walk out but she kept him from doing it and then she walks out, yeah
1: <laughs> exactly so- <laughs> daredevil tries to walk out because he's struggling with this addiction right uh, essentially that's the way it's played yes and uh you know he's trying to walk away from temptation but jessica jessica jones is trying to walk away from giving a crap
2: Uh huh.
1: and i found it in her original series i found her to be unlikable Mm-hmm. And I found the content to be very, very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, the the purple man, what was his name, played by David Tennant, so creepily well.
0: Yeah, her uh, villain was yeah. incredibly creepy. I I think that was the thing that that bugged me the most. His ability to control people, just
1: her just villain did. was Stephen King level.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it just it was just like oh and I could understand why she was so depressed and mm-hmm. and so, you know, negative because of this villain who had made it the purpose of his life to rope her into his uh villainous uh behavior. But yeah, it was the whole scene, series was hard to watch. Yeah. And but I think of other than Daredevil I think she's actually one of the better characters in The Defenders.
1: I agree. And, you know, I, I really feel like, uh, particularly with The Defenders, one of the good things to come out of it was I really feel like we've taken a strong step towards a redemptive arc for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how far. It's, I'm pretty sure that her general attitude will always be the same, but I I feel like she'll get better at reaching out to help. hmm Whereas there's no hope for the Iron Fist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you never know. I think there was a teensy bit of growth in him just in, like, the last 30 minutes of <laughs> of the entire season. So, <laughs> yeah, and it had to do with, you know, what Daredevil does at the end, which we'll get into later.
1: So there are two other hero-type characters that I wanted to briefly touch on. Uh, the first is Stick, and mm-hmm. Stick is the guy who is the you know the mentor the trainer in the in the origin stories of uh, more, uh, Devil uh and electra yeah. yeah multiple uh marvel heroes and and more than just those two in in the mm-hmm. entire marvel universe too um but he's he raising is, an army yeah exactly he's he's a member of the chase which is uh in direct opposition to the big the villain of the defenders the hand um but just gotta love
0: those names in fact they were so simplistic in the names they actually made fun of it in a couple episodes in in the defenders yeah the hand you gotta be kidding me no (laughs) no really it's the hand
1: um so stick is what i would refer to in tabletop role-playing terms as a true neutral character Mm -hmm. he chases his mission and has uh little regard for for moral rights and wrongs mm-hmm. uh whatever serves the purpose of defeating, defeating the hand and you know he holds defeat of the hand up as the greatest moral authority even though that clearly is not the case here
0: right and i mean he he will kill anybody he i mean in in daredevil season two he tried to kill electra mm-hmm. so that so that the hand couldn't get her um because she was the black sky <laughs> how'd that um,
2: work
0: out he, he, yeah um and then in this one he tries to kill Danny Rand which I I'm assume from assuming from the way you're talking you would have appreciated. Which, yeah, could have
1: gone better. <laughs> <laughs> so the last one is Elektra and Elektra is she was a hero in season 2, right? of Daredevil?
0: Yes. She fought alongside sort of an
1: anti she was more of an anti-hero, I guess. Yeah.
0: The way they introduced her is that she's a black skies which means that she's was born and bred to be a weapon, a weapon, a person that enjoys killing. And Stick has tamed her, and she is... But since he doesn't seem to have any moral obligation to not kill, unlike Daredevil, um, she will kill if necessary. He didn't train it all out of her. But then Daredevil comes along and tries to put into her some of his moral sense of killing is wrong. And she tries to play along with that, but in, in the end, it, it doesn't really work out well for her.
1: You could say that. Yeah.
0: Though she does sacrifice herself for Daredevil in the, in the final episode of season yeah. two.
1: That's true. And mm-hmm. then uh, in The Defenders, she is... Uh, <laughs> resurrected. <laughs> yeah. And I, I put air quotes around resurrected. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. She's mm-hmm. resurrected as a, uh, as a tool and a weapon uh, for use by the hand.
0: And they wipe her memories so she doesn't remember her previous life. But it starts to inch back because I think she really does love Matthew Murdoch. And so whenever she's around him, it kind of forces her to consider something other than than being yeah. what, what she's been raised to be.
1: Yeah, her goal was never really clear. You know, she said her goal was to get the substance, which uh, turns out to be, uh, spoiler alert, dragon bone. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is interesting.
0: It's a product necessary for their resurrection process, which we will get to later.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, and sh- she does show growth, but uh, one thing that concerns me is uh, at one point Matthew says that she doesn't have a heartbeat. So she can she really be alive without a heartbeat? I, I would say
0: well, you have to remember the hand is trained to master heartbeats because that was the whole reason he had a hard oh, time yeah, fighting yeah. them That's in season true. two. Mhm. They they, they uh, mask their heartbeats and and he can't hear them.
1: Yeah. So she's a hero in Daredevil season two, or a hero slash anti-hero in Daredevil season two, and uh, in Defender she is a villain who at the end is a uh, still a, a villain question, questionable, questionable villain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A villain yeah. with an identity crisis.
0: Yeah, well, she's still fighting almost all the way to the end, and I, I, kind of, I got, I was on a discussion group today, and they, they were talking about the whole uh, thing at the end between Daredevil and Elektra. Um, where he stays behind. Yeah. And they were like, they thought it was, they thought it was really stupid that he stayed behind for a romantic twist with I'm with them. And at the, and I was like, I don't know that necessarily if that's the reason why he stayed behind. I really feel like the reason he stayed behind was that he knew that if they all four tried to leave together, she would stop all of them. And so he stayed behind in order to distract her so the other 3 could get away.
1: You're saying he was sacrificing himself yeah. so that they could escape.
0: Yes, but I think he was hoping that he could convince her to leave with him. But because they How would they have left? <laughs> yeah, but, well, you know, I, there was another little technical problem with that whole episode because they they crashed through the wall and everybody's down at the bottom of the hole and the elevators up at the top waiting on them.
2: <laughs> Yeah.
0: And and I was as soon as they crashed, I was like, Why is the elevator there? Everybody else is at the bottom of the hole. Why would they have raised the elevator up to the top of the hole?
1: That episode and the episode before it had all kinds of continuity errors. There's one part where Daredevil says there's no one else in the building. And then three scenes later there are four guys. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. (laughs) They're trying to plant the explosives and suddenly people are coming into a building that the police can't even get into.
0: Well they they were I think what he meant was that there were no normal people in the building because yeah. remember he cannot hear well, the hand they mask their heartbeats.
1: Uh yeah okay okay. <laughs> and it, and it, I think they could have done a lot of stuff better as far as communicating that but mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, so yeah. heroes and anti-heroes. Uh real quick, I wanted to uh discuss uh they're um they're driving their moral authority their their driving force right mm-hmm. and uh i think daredevil is an excellent place to start because uh both in first season of daredevil not so much the second season but the first season of daredevil and in this one he is clearly struggling with the um with the spiritual aspects of what he does Mm-hmm. And that is hands down my favorite part. Um, as a matter of fact, first, uh, the first episode, uh, yeah, the first episode of Defender Season 1 has uh, him doing confession, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing about it is, you know, he was talking about this. I think I put the quote in here. Well, he's talking about that he lied to Karen because Karen asked him whether he was okay, you know, l- having retired from being Daredevil. Mm-hmm. And he told her that he was. And then Father Lantham says, acknowledging a lie is often the best path to finding the truth. A lie like this one is often a sign of indecision, a sign that your mind and your soul are not yet aligned. And then he says, well, I'm trying to ignore my soul. So he considers his soul to be daredevil, and he's trying to ignore his soul. Mm. And his heart and his mind are Matthew Murdoch.
1: And his friend and his desire to be with his friends. Yeah. His friends.
0: Yeah. And so I think that, you know, this thing that is just like ripping him apart is, to be honest, I think a lot of it has to do with Foggy and Karen because they're forcing him to do it. Mm-hmm. It's like he told them over and over again in Daredevil that Daredevil was a part of who he was and that they just needed to accept it. And they kept pushing. And I think it, you know, we missed a very important conversation because at the very end of Daredevil... Um, he goes and, and reveals his secret to Karen and all they give you is he shows her the mask and that was the end. And we missed whatever that conversation was. Yeah, and I was that's really true. hoping that they would tell us what that conversation was, but intuiting it from, uh, they're having coffee together in the first episode of the defenders. I think that she pushed him away.
1: I think that's a reasonable read of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She pushed him away. Foggy had already pushed him away. And so I think that they they kind of boxed him in to a corner and that if he wanted these two people who are really the only two people in his life, he's an orphan, mm. you know? His and, only father
1: figure is Stick.
0: Yeah, and he <laughs> Lord hates Lord have Stick. mercy on him. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't really have a very good relationship <laughs> with Stick when that's shown over and over again. But his two friends have really forced him into a corner and they've divided him they've made him force this division on him and i think that really comes out and that's why his character is so fascinating because they go ahead and develop that for him and it's like everybody else got i think a really um well it may just be their characters really didn't have any room to develop but i really felt like of all of the characters he's gotten two seasons and he gets more development in the defenders than everybody else yeah but that division comes out over and over again, and they really treat it like it's some kind of an addiction. Like his, his need to go out and be a hero is like this addiction. Yeah. And Foggy, try, they're, they're like constantly running interventions. You know, like Foggy gives him more cases to keep him busy so that he doesn't, um, you know, fall to temptation.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I, can, <laughs> and, I can infer where they're coming from as far as, uh, you know, look at it like you have a friend who is an adrenaline junkie. Uh, they could see it the same way mm-hmm. and uh, think of his going out and and doing this fighting as a, a method to get the juices flowing.
0: Well, you know that Foggy does love him as a very he, they're very close friends. Yeah,
1: because friends uh, in, his co- uh, college, in yeah. college,
0: yeah. And uh, Foggy had made some point. I think it was sometime in, in season two. He made some comment. And he's like, I can't do this anymore because I every time I walk up these steps, I think I'm going to find you dead. And I I really feel like his pushing uh, Matthew away was because he just couldn't bear to think of what Matthew was doing to himself as Daredevil. Yeah. And I mean, the first time he finds out that he's the Man in Black, really, is when he comes in and finds him slashed to ribbons after his fight with Nobu. So,
1: oh uh, yeah, yeah,
0: it, it's just one of those situations where he just can't handle that. I mean, when you see a friend that is constantly putting himself in danger, so it's like you said, it's an adrenaline junkie thing. But I think they could have been a tad bit more understanding because at the same time as they're forcing him to give up Daredevil, they're also pushing him out of their lives. So what else does he have? Yep. And I and you see that because he hasn't. I mean, it's like they meet for a drink, and from the understanding I get from the discussion, they haven't talked in a really long time.
1: Yeah, and for me, it, this is uh, this is where I think it ties back to so many of our hero discussions in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. Matt is driven by uh, the knowledge that he has the ability to help people.
0: Right, and he's kind of like Spider Man in that way. Exactly, he has this. He 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 understands. And the thing is, is I think he even mentioned it to Foggy when he first explained his abilities. He's like, I hear everything. I hear all of the stuff that's going on. And you want me to just ignore it?
2: Yeah. You know,
0: I just can't ignore it. When I hear, you know, his example was the little girl that was being abused by her father. Mm -hmm. That was what got him going. And it was just like he, he tried to do the right thing. He called protective services and the father, you know, covered it up.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's uh a, a, you know, there's a reason we like this character the best. Yeah. <laughs> but his he has a he has a clear moral compass and mm-hmm. um you know, his his drive <laughs> yeah. His drive is determined by that moral compass and and I like mm-hmm. that. Whereas Jessica mm-hmm. Jones uh has no discernible moral compass though it comes out a little bit more uh, mm-hmm. Here in in Defenders than it did in Jessica Jones season one. Um, but she, she her drive is from what is really her her superpower, and that's she's a master private investigator. Mm-hmm. Um, she she knows
0: how to dig and find information exactly. Really well. Yeah.
1: So it, it, I mean, that's the source of her drive is to get to. Uh, I don't want to say to get to the truth because we don't really know that that is what she wants to get to. She wants to get to the end. Mm -hmm. Some of the stuff she says suggests that she doesn't really care about the truth. um, But her actions suggest to me that she does. Mm -hmm. So maybe, you know, maybe that's going to be part of her redemptive arc. I don't know, and
0: and she needs a redemptive arc because I feel like I, I think they really build this up at the very in the first episode where you're kind of seeing them each in their little spot before they come together. She has not recovered from what happened with Kilgrave, and she's not taking clients. She's drinking herself all out, you know, mm-hmm. all hours of the day. Uh, she she doesn't have. Uh, any motivation to get out of bed in the morning, basically, or yeah. actually leave the leave the bar stool in the in the in the pub, um, but I think that we see her growth, and that, I think that's why she uh, next to Daredevil is the most developed character in the Defenders because she does come out of that, and part of that I think is hanging out with Daredevil because the more because Matthew is the one that she ties in with, and he, I think he's a really strong influence on her, and I don't know that he's really trying to but i think because they hang out so much she kind of starts to maybe key into his moral compass a little yeah. bit
1: you know there's at at one point in uh in defenders uh, stick talks about uh matthew being the leader that they need and he does sort of he he sort of picks up that mantle as, in the last couple episodes but i was disappointed mm-hmm. that there was really no uh leader moment it just mm-hmm. sort of it just sort of happened with a whimper and yeah. there was well, no I think nothing that they could point were all to.
0: strong they were well they were all strong personalities and they no one declared leadership so i think that it's really hard with strong personalities if no one elects a leader yeah and no one steps up to be the leader then it's just whoever has you know the the voice of authority in any given moment mm-hmm. so i think that kind of fits with their personalities they they're not going to follow just anybody yeah. And there none of them are followers. They're all uh independent, independently natured. <laughs> they work alone. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Uh so Luke Cage uh mm-hmm. is also uh, very close to uh being driven by a moral compass, but his moral compass seems not to be informed as much by God's morality as it is by um resisting oppression uh Mm -hmm. in in the defenders it is uh there's a scene where he and danny rand are talking and it seems like he is specifically uh resisting um racial oppression isn't the right word but uh but it is bigotry because
0: Because he he throws it back at Danny. You're a rich white kid. Yeah. You know,
1: you don't understand. Entitled,
0: you don't understand, which it's true. Danny doesn't understand. But at the same time, I think that some of Luke's attitude, uh, especially towards this young boy who gets himself in trouble, Hmm. is the kind of attitude that is creating issues in our society because it's like, well, they were oppressed. This is their only choice that they can make. So we need to trying to justify yeah. bad behavior and let them off the hook because it was the only choice they have. There has uh, that to be actually specifically
1: comes up in, in that kid's storyline, too. Mm-hmm. And I was a little yeah. disturbed by it.
0: Yeah, I, I I just that I have a real problem with that. It's like there has to be consequences for bad choices. And and we can't absolve people of bad choices because They didn't have the opportunity to make better ones. We have to give them the opportunity to make better ones instead of absolving them for making bad ones. Right, right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. But I I really felt like that's where he was going with that argument. It's like, we got to absolve this kid of any wrongdoing. I think he had a good mom. He had other choices, you know? Yeah. (laughs) To say that he got into this because he needed a job, I'm sure there were other jobs that he could have done. They wouldn't have given him as much money. But Mm -hmm. sometimes you make you make moral choices rather than bad choices for the wrong reasons. And I think that we too much in our culture today absolve people of bad choices because of some victimization of some sort. And I don't think that that's a good reason.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's Cage is really uh, he is what society would call a good man, Mm -hmm. but from a evangelical standpoint i don't think I, I think his god is social justice right um and it just as it stands now it certainly you know there's plenty of room for character growth and uh, he could turn into a, a spiritual man uh, easily but mm-hmm. uh, as he stands at the end of the defenders uh he really seems to be placing what he perceives to be correcting social injustice uh, on the pedestal uh, where God belongs.
0: Right. And maybe that's why we like Daredevil so much because even though he is not necessarily a godly character, Mm -hmm. uh, he does fall back on faith and to an extent that no other superhero in the Marvel universe does. I can't think of another single... (laughs)
1: Yeah, I can't either. It's, I I would appreciate if uh, if folks could give us some feedback and suggestions as to uh, maybe, well, you know, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something, there's a vampire slaying priest, but uh, yeah, nothing in in the Marvel universe it's, that I can think of.
0: It's so much. I mean, even if you're not even just going by the TV show through Netflix, but just when you read the comics and the graphic novels and the diff- various storylines. There's so much religious imagery of uh, 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 circular and around Dare- Daredevil. Um, just the fact that he's taken devil um, mm. as as his uh, costume. Moniker, I guess. yeah. Moniker, yeah. Uh, and, and I think there's a lot that leads into that even from the first epi- episode of his season where uh, he's, it once again starts with a confession. It's season one of Daredevil starts with a confession. Yep. Um, that he, he he's talking about the devil and the Murdoch boys and and how mm-hmm. you, when you unleashed it when his father would unleash the devil nobody could stop him and and then you stall right after that the scene where he takes down a bunch of bad guys and he he gets the last one and he just starts punching and doesn't stop and it's like it's that part of him that he can't control yeah and he he doesn't want to release it and. And he tries to cage it with with faith and religion. And I think that that's where Catholicism... You know, I don't want to bash Catholics any. Being a Protestant myself, I find some shortcomings with the Catholic faith. But in this instance, I I think that it does keep him on on the moral up and up, which is different from the movie version of Daredevil, because the movie version of Daredevil killed indiscriminately, which was... Very different than um, than this.
1: I know I've seen it, but I don't remember. Um, I don't remember much about it.
0: Yeah, he. Uh, that was actually his growth as a character was was deciding that he needed to stop killing.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: I appreciated the movie, but the TV show is so much better yeah. because I think it fits his faith in much much more strongly. And I was really impressed um, since we're on the faith thing with Daredevil that they showed so much. Of that in the defenders, when they they only had eight eight episodes to cover four story tracks mm-hmm. with four characters, and they still spent enough time to really give you a sense of how deep Matthew's faith was, yeah. even to the extent of revealing his braille Bible, which I don't even think made an appearance uh, in in his the series uh, series. Yeah. yeah.
1: So it, we're we're running a little long and on our daredevil <laughs> love fest here. Yeah, sorry. Uh, that's all right. Um real quick, the motivation for the Iron Fist.
0: Uh do we even have to discuss the Iron Fist? Can we just like
1: <laughs> So it, the Iron Fist is a title. And it's a it is a, it denotes a specific ability uh or specific the the specific gift <laughs> And, uh-huh. uh, and a set of responsibilities where he is supposed to be the defender of Kunlun, this mystical uh, place in the... It
0: only appears like every 18 years yeah, or something
1: like that. I, I think it changes places with Brigadoon or something. Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> so his motivation still uh, completely escapes me because he's, his job as the Iron Fist was to protect Kunlun... From, and he abandoned it from the hand. The hand, yeah. And not only did he abandon his post, but he knows that his abandonment caused the the slaughter of everyone in Kunlun.
0: And they do try to show that he's agonizing. He's like having dreams, sc- waking up screaming because he's dreaming of all the people he knew being killed. And so he's he's dealing with some guilt there. But I still feel like. You don't really care. Yeah, because.
1: It's it, it's supposed to be a revenge thing for him, but you don't really, you never get it. You never yeah. get that feeling.
0: He's very aimless. And, and I think that maybe they did that. On, I don't, like I said, I don't know whether it's the fault of the writing or if it's maybe the the people who write the scripts don't know what his motivation is. It's,
1: it, it's like he has a mantra. Stop the hand. Stop the hand. Stop the hand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: What are you going to do when you stop the hand? Go to Disneyland?
0: Yeah. Well, and and that's why I say he does have the teensiest bit of, of growth as a character right in the last 30 minutes because Matthew, in his parting words to Danny Rand, gives him a motivation. Yeah.
1: Protect my city. Isn't that what he says? Mm-hmm. Which I want to say, when he was whispering in his ear, it mm-hmm. was a lot more...
0: Yeah, then put three words then
1: four syllables <laughs> it was like four sentences yeah well. so anyway
0: <laughs> they wanted to make sure you
1: saw it <laughs> so his uh uh danny rand's motivation is uh is revenge based uh they, he if he has a moral compass it is completely uh pointed towards um his failure <laughs> as the iron fist <laughs> Yes. And trying to right the wrong or something.
0: Well, everybody who interacts with him tells him he's a failure, too. I mean, how can you grow as a character and as a person when everybody just keeps reminding you um, how much you've failed? Uh, Yeah. But neither of us like the character, so we won't
1: dwell on him. I've mentioned the moral compass a number of times. And uh, one of the things that uh, Defenders touched on, but I really feel that it – it dropped the ball in in addressing properly was uh the moral authority and there there's actually a line in there where alexandra says to the recently captured uh iron fist well the thing about war is it only works if both uh, both sides believe they're the good guys Mm -hmm. and uh that quote really bugged me because there is absolutely no basis for the hand to believe they're good guys (laughs)
2: Zilch. The history of the hand
1: is there are five people who were kicked out of Kunlun and have spent their nearly immortal lives uh, trying to get back into Kunlun and kill everyone there. Yeah, that and immortality. And, you know, it's not even immortality, though. Yeah, Which, because she's dying. Yeah, exactly. She's dying and they have no more of the substance. <laughs> she wasted it to bring Electra back. Right. So it's not immortality if you cannot live forever. It's just an extended life.
0: But, the you know, the weird thing is, is I think that's a little bit of a plot failure because in the Iron Fist, Meacham had been given the substance and resurrected. And then um, his son killed him. And he came back without anybody bringing him back. He, remember? Because he sunk his body in the pond and he oh, came out of the pond.
1: That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the idea was that he didn't take a mortal wound.
0: Yeah, he was killed. He killed him.
1: Huh. You're right. That doesn't work.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey. So that's what what I was confused about in this one is they made it sound like that they had to go through the ceremony with the substance every single time. But I was under the impression already from their appearances in, in uh, Daredevil Season 2 and in Iron Fist that it was uh, once they were resurrected, they would keep coming back until you chop their head off.
1: Yeah, a la Highlander.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: but I, I, I got the distinct impression that they could – Take the severed head and the body, put it back in that um, that casket with the fluid, and the person would come back. I don't know, but uh, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, it because doesn't matter. It, it was a. I think it was a plot hole. Yeah, personally, it,
1: it. You know, in the defenders, they call it resurrection, and they call it immortality, and it's neither. Yeah. So, uh, the resurrection now. Granted, I was thinking that the resurrection was more, not quite a zombification, but I didn't think Mm Lecter's heart was beating. But you pointed out earlier that it could easily have been the hand's ability to mask the heartbeat Mm -hmm. or the hand's ability to mask the heartbeat could have been a result of this resurrection. I don't know.
0: But we know that not all the hand gets that treatment. They have a lot of flunkies that get, I mean, and he has trouble hearing
1: all the hand. All of them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, that was his his very first interaction with the real hand warriors was – he was – he's like, Electra? I'm lost. I can't hear them. Unless they're using weapons, I can't hear them. And then they learned really quick to drop their weapons because he could hear them as long as they were swishing their swords around in the air. But as soon as they laid their weapons down and went to fists, he couldn't hear them coming.
1: Yeah, which makes no sense at all because they're still moving air. <laughs> yeah. But anyway – I'm
0: and the thing that bugged me was Stick then told him to l- listen for their ex- inhalations and exhalations. And I'm like, so they don't have a heartbeat. They can mask their heartbeat, but they can't yeah. mask their inhalations and exhalations. They
1: can't hold their breath. What's up with that? So they – resurrection is uh, – their concept of resurrection is –
0: And did we mention that Daredevil is
1: blind? I mean <laughs> – <laughs> oh, Yeah, we probably should have mentioned that. <laughs> He's blind, but he has a... In the comic books, it's, it's a radar sense, but in the movie, it really is just a... Uh,
0: in the TV show. Uh, t- the, t-
1: yeah, TV show, not the yeah. movie. That was completely different. Uh, in the TV show, it it is portrayed more as a hypersensitive hearing.
0: Hearing, sense of smell, yeah. taste, and a, and the ability to feel the air.
1: Yeah, it's, I I sort of regret the lack of the radar sense, um, mm-hmm. I think it's handled a lot in Daredevil, like Spider Sense was handled in Homecoming. You just assume it's there. Yeah, you see yeah. the effects, but it's it's not really communicated in any way that is corny.
0: <laughs> and may I just add, because I've I I've just I know I it's I'm gonna go back into my Daredevil lot <laughs> here, but. Um, Part of this is Charlie Cox, because I really feel like he did his research to play the character as realistically as possible. And I I do not think that the other actors are quite to his caliber. Mm -hmm. And when I found out how much research he went into in order to when he he didn't when he took the character, uh, he didn't even know that Matthew Murdoch was supposed to be blind. And then when he found that out, because he didn't he wasn't familiar with the character from anything. When he found that out, he actually like got a blind man to show him how to do things. And he actually, the blind guy, actually led him around New York City blindfolded. And he also, for the first, I think, half season of uh, Daredevil, for most of his Matthew Murdoch scenes, he actually has contact lenses in his eyes that make him blind.
1: I didn't know that. That's neat.
0: And he says a lot of people were like, he was a real pain on set because people would have to lead him around because when they weren't filming... He, it was too much trouble to take the lenses out. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I've been watching some interviews with him, and it just it dawned on me is like so much of the reason that I think we love Daredevil so much is because of the nuances that Charlie Cox adds to the performance. And if they had cast anybody else, I'm not entirely sure it would have worked.
1: Yeah, I, I think... Just uh, need to throw that in. I, I, I do think that his contribution to the character is critical to uh, how well we're liking it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: but uh real quick back that's it, okay uh back to um the misnomer of uh resurrection and immortality uh as mm-hmm. I already pointed out, the immortality is not true immortality uh, immortality is literally eternal life mm-hmm. but that's not what they're getting and uh if you remember back in Doctor Strange. Wasn't there a question the, about immortali- the, the bad guys were after immortality, which turned out to be not, right?
0: Yeah. Well, the the ancient one that that taught him sorcery that extended her life, mm-hmm. probably by mystical means through this connection to the...
1: The big baddie. Yeah, the big Mora baddie. Morabund or the, something like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember. Yeah, whatever. But it, it's funny how that keeps coming up.
1: You know, uh, it, it's almost like we have a inborn desire to not be mortal, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And you know what? That's scriptural. Yes. Because it, it is. Uh, it is from Ecclesiastes 311. I love Ecclesiastes. and I love it. A lot of people don't understand the book. It's a very interesting uh, book of wisdom written by King Solomon. But uh, this is the he in this is referring to God. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity Into man's hearts yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And the the second, the last he there was, was man. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've, I've always been fascinated by that verse because Adam and Eve were originally created in a garden with access to a tree that would have given them immortality, the tree of life. And if they had eaten of that fruit, they would not have died. And when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they were not forbidden to eat from the tree of life, they were only forbidden to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They preferred knowledge to life and they they sinned against God and he kicked them out of the garden lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever. Mm -hmm. That's actually in the book, in, in the Genesis account. So I've often thought, you know, in in the whole concept of it is that he made us to be immortal. So mortality is unnatural for us. Yeah. But because of our sin, death is a result of our sin. And so therefore we are mortal because we sin. And it's a mercy that God has prevented us from living forever in our sin, that we actually uh have a way out of that. Because if we had lived forever in our sin, there would have been no... I guess, um, opportunity for the shedding of blood to cover our sins and give us away. We would have lived immortal lives lost to sin yeah. and bondage to sin.
1: Yeah. It's, it, uh, eternity is a, it's a divine truth that we have within us. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that, uh, you will either be eternally alive or eternally dead. And, uh, mm-hmm. Daniel twelve two says, uh, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So it's mm. the end result. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know what's so, so interesting? I, I hear this all the time now is that as Christians, we're supposed to just love everybody and we're not supposed to speak into truth into people's lives about how much they need Christ and and that the fact that they're sinners. And when I look at a verse like that from the Bible, it's like, why on earth would we not want to speak truth into people's lives and tell them they're sinners? Yeah. It's not, it's not out of hate. We don't hate, we don't hate people. If we hated people, we would never tell them, never tell them the truth that there is a way out.
1: Would you not tell a man dying of thirst where the water is?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I understand that as non-believers, non-believers don't understand that, but that is no reason why we should shut up about the good news of what Christ has done for us, because why on earth would we want to doom anybody to live an eternity of shame and everlasting contempt? One other thing that I noticed there was a discussion, there were a lot of discussions between Alexandra and and, uh, Electra. And in one of them, she makes the comment, Alexandra says to Electra, you were born, you lived and died and what you saw on the other side, the darkness, the absence of everything. It's horrifying, isn't it? I have seen it too, more than once. And all I want in this life is never to see it again. And what I found fascinating about that quote is, is that kind of the secular idea of what happens when we die is that there's nothing oh. that we just cease to be.
1: Yeah, not kind of. That's
0: Yeah. That's yeah. a very
1: humanist uh
0: Yeah, and and what's interesting about that is is that that's almost what she's saying there is that on the other side is darkness and the absence of everything and she said it was horrifying and she never wants to see it again. So,
1: yeah, it's except <laughs> that her quote implies that the consciousness remains is aware of it
0: yeah exactly is aware of nothingness
1: that's that's sort of what i picture hell to be like i I mean it's the absence of god it's commonly the absence of Mm -hmm. god exactly so you know maybe that's exactly what they're talking about yeah
0: their motto as the hand is that they will serve life itself and that that's their like their motivation is to serve life itself And I just I think it's fascinating that um, that their representation of what death is, uh, is like this eternal nothingness that they're conscious of and that it's horrifying. Mm. And and it's like it takes as a twist on what the humanists say that death is. It's like, well, we die and then that's it. And it's like and you die and you're conscious of the fact that that's it. And there's nothing that you eternally conscious of that. You like your spirit is aware and alive with nothing.
1: And this isn't a unique idea just put forward in Defenders, too. I mean, oh, no. this comes no. up in literature and in other movies. Um, I I personally would like to think it's another one of those divine truths that everybody is innately cognizant of. Cognizant yeah. of. yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's why it works it into our, our collective conscience.
0: Yeah. It's like we, we worry about what's after death. It's not... It's not something that, as the, as the humanist tries to make it, you know, well, you just don't have to worry about it because when you're dead, you're done. And I think I've, I've heard Bill Nye say that. When you're dead, you're done. That's yeah. it. And it's like, well, you can hope that that's it.
1: Yeah, you better hope that's it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as Christians, we know that's not it. And uh, I,
1: I feel like... How could... It, I just... I don't understand how you could live... The humanist scientists, uh, many of which I admire intellectually, like um, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson and, and uh, Bill Nye, who's uh, actually an engineer. They they don't necessarily belittle people of faith, uh, oh, yes, though they sometimes do. they do. <laughs> but they they express incredulity. Over how we can believe in something that is so, uh, so out there from scientific thought. And I'm the exact same way, except I can, yeah, I cannot (laughs) fathom how you can exist in this life and not see that there is so much more.
0: Yeah, it's like the Romans one thing, you know, it's like God is evident. He's self-evident in everything that we see in science and nature. It explains God. Well, it doesn't do a very good job explaining God because he's beyond explanation, but it reveals God in a way that it's a testament to the fact that he exists. And then to have a scientific mind and be so denying of the fact that he exists, I I think it definitely falls back on Romans one that he gives us up to that.
1: Yeah, I've got it right here. Let me go ahead and uh, read it. It's Romans one eighteen through, let's go through 22. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for the, his invisible attributes, namely... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although Mm -hmm. they knew God – And that is just smack on. Paul lays the smack down oh, yeah. on Neil yeah. deGrasse Tyson and <laughs> and Bill Nye and, and Dawkins. Yeah. And, and he's 2000 years in the past. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. I say Paul does it, but it's the Holy Spirit.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And God knew that these people would, would have such disdain for for him and for his followers long before even the life of jesus i mean it's in the prophecy after prophecy and you see it in the kings nebuchadnezzar who he sh- he shamed he brought nebuchadnezzar to his knees and he came out of it you know oh yeah god does exist
1: <laughs> <laughs> whoops my bad <laughs>
0: yeah um but yeah i, I think that uh it, it's it's something that god gives them over to and they reject him enough they he just lets them do it mm-hmm. you know and and <sighs> I think it's an amazing thing when God changes the hearts of those people because it is uh, uh, an incredible testament, but I think sometimes he just doesn't bother. He lets them wallow in their sin and their, because as, as it says in that verse, they know God, they know God. Yeah. It's in, he's in their hearts and they've thoroughly rejected him. <laughs> but, you know, we could keep going on and on, on, on this series. I mean, it was eight hours long. Yeah. <laughs> We can do two in-depth episodes on a two-hour movie, and this series was eight hours long. So,
1: Really, the fact that we got, that we got so much into an hour discussion, I think is pretty good.
0: <laughs> yeah, and this would be a really great example of something that we would love for people to join us in the discussion group and just go crazy on. And, you know, I'm assuming anybody who's still listening to this episode is probably listening because they have watched The Defenders and yep. they enjoy it. Uh, we really, really want you to join our discussion group and and come and and let's let's talk about it because there's so much more in this that's going on. And if somebody wants to come in and defend Iron Fist, I, we would be open to um, <laughs> smacking you down.
1: <laughs> yeah, We like to see um, how that debate goes. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, but other than that, I mean, I think that you know, like I said, we could keep going on and on and on, but I think we need to wrap this mm-hmm. up. You can find our discussion group on Facebook uh, just by searching for Are You Just Watching? It'll come up. It's the only group by that name, so you should be able to find it. It is a closed group. We want to keep it private, so you'll have to request uh, permission to join. You'll, gr- you'll be granted, and of course. You'll be granted, yes, until you break any kind of unspoken rules about you know language mm-hmm. and discussion points that w- would probably not be wise in a Christian community. As long as you can follow you know basic Christian morals in your discussion, you're going to be able to stay. So please join us. We also would love for you to subscribe on iTunes and rate and review us because we we don't have any current reviews in iTunes. And that really does help our uh, visibility in the iTunes uh, podcast community to have reviews. And so if you haven't reviewed us yet, please go and review us. Uh, Positive reviews are welcome, but any review is is, uh, we'd be happy for any review at this point. You can follow me in, on Twitter at e franklin,
1: And I'm on Twitter at rencheple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E.
0: You can also comment on the show notes, which are at areyoujustwatching.com slash 73. And you can call us at nine zero three two three one two 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 one to leave a voicemail. And you can also email us at feedback at com, And we do want to plug and continue to plug that you can support us as well because we do incur expenses with this. And Mm -hmm. just, you know, you can go to our Patreon page. It's
1: a labor of love. It's a
0: labor of love, yes. I I haven't had to buy uh, a new microphone recently. I'm hoping that my audio improves. I don't know whether it has or not. Of course, I I think Skype is ruining my audio on this recording. So I apologize in advance if I sound bad because um, Skype is filtering my feed. And I cannot... The new Skype, I can't seem to figure out how to get it to stop doing that.
1: Uh, You know, speaking of Patreon, uh, I want to give a shout out to one of our supporters, Craig Hardy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Facebook tells me today, uh, the day of our recording, August 21st, is his birthday. Oh. So happy birthday, Craig.
0: It's eclipse day, too. Yeah, eclipse day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I kept waiting for the dragon to pop out of the eclipse. It just never happened.
0: Oh, you heard about the tinfoil guys, the tinfoil hat guys, right?
1: (laughs) But they're right.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, so much for tuning in and listening to this discussion. And uh, Indeed. please uh, listen in next. The next episode was going to be on arrival. We promised a listener all the way back last November that we would do. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a, we go. yeah. Yeah. It was end of November when that movie came out. Um, he really wanted us to do uh, something on arrival. And I wanted to do something more in depth off of a DVD because it's such a long and thoughtful movie. And there's so much mm. buried in it. And I love the whole concept of language, the way they represent it. So do tune in. We're going to have fun recording those episodes. And if you want to give us feedback, once we get this posted, we'll probably be... uh, recording fairly soon on arrival but if you want to give us any advanced feedback on arrival we'd be love to yeah. include that in, it's not very uh,
1: often that we that we announce what our next one is going to be yeah giving them an, a, <laughs> a, a, yeah, an, a, an option and hey maybe we can get them to leave a voicemail with their own yeah uh, review and commentary right. on arrival we've, that we've, would be wonderful we'd, yeah,
0: yeah we'd love to include that so uh definitely and maybe if if we get some good feedback um, pre-recording uh, we'll start maybe uh, telling you what we're going to record in advance if that's what it takes to get uh, people to, to tune in so anyway we will wrap this one up I'm Eve Franklin
1: I'm Tib Martin
0: and thanks for listening
1: and don't just watch are you just watching as a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx.